This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Three, two, three, 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 all right, a little oh, disappointed yeah. we just did the live episode. Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast, everybody. And ain't no, we had this nice video. You could see me clearly. Ain't nobody said nothing about my haircut. I got made fun of last week because you said, oh, look, Matt's hair got long. So I went and got it right. cut just because of that comment, and you didn't even notice. Yeah, I'm a dude. I don't notice that shit, man. I did notice, but I just forgot to say something on the live podcast. <laughs> I, I, I knew, well... I, I think you cut it because I called you out at yeah, the, uh, that's exa- the audio feed. The, the last time I thought about my hair was the day I got it cut last, which who knows how long ago that was. And then you said, oh, Matt, your hair got long. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I went and got it cut because it, exactly because only because of that comment. That's really funny. Like I just, It hasn't crossed it just, my mind uh, ever since. I've only had two haircuts in like two years, and it never crosses my mind ever. It did not occur to me. Like, it did not occur. <laughs> <laughs> what joey do you even think about hair these days like you just it, <laughs> is it like gone what what's crazy is i actually did notice and maybe toby did you do anything different to your hair i cut <laughs> my you hair, toby's I, hair. <laughs> thank you <laughs> i actually did cut my hair bro i appreciate that i don't know why i didn't notice you didn't notice i cut We're off closer. four inches We're of hair but toby had that. a little bit of trim under his beard on the right side that joey noticed oh, short i cut it i cut it a lot shorter <laughs> matt you could never know if somebody cut their hair you no, have no clue no, of, no. of ever no I'm, i mean I'm completely i mean this is this is totally true i am a non-visual person like people here's the thing i think 99 percent of people think they they say you know what for me i'm a visual learner like they're the only one in the world it's 99 percent <laughs> of people say that and they think they're special because right. like i picture things when i learn yeah, I know that's everybody, but I'm I'm the only person I've ever heard say I got nothing visual going on in my head when I'm thinking ever, nothing. Right. <laughs> I don't think in pictures. Nothing goes on in my head visually whatsoever. If I had to dress myself, I have zero clue what to wear, what goes with what. It doesn't. It's so far out of the the realm. I use my eyes and my input of sight to make decisions. Not, but I have no visual is so not part of my thinking or learning whatsoever. Um. Well, you are special then, Matt. I'm the only you one that is special. special. What I'm saying is everybody else that thinks they're special because they're a visual learner, you're not special. That's <laughs> I don't I don't know if I am a learner. I have a really <laughs> you're hard You're just not a learner. Like like I have a really hard time. But hey, I want to talk about this. I, I read an article this week um about how a lot of so there's tons of Amazon businesses, right? Like people just make things like what it, whatever it might be, like whatever they, they make their own stuff and you know, sew their own stuff, whatever. And they sell it on Amazon and make a lot of money or doing Etsy. it. And then, right. But on Amazon specifically, Amazon has allowed like uh foreign companies to come in and then they undercut everybody oh, and make yeah. the stuff really cheap and crappy, but it's a way cheaper price. So like you can get a, uh, you know, American made selfie stick for 1999, but the, you know, the one from China is nine ninety nine. So you mm-hmm. save 10 bucks. So I was thinking do y'all one thought I was like, well, I do like the cheaper price, and if it's oh, just as good, if it's okay, maybe that's all right. But then I think, well, that does hurt the American folks. But, for example, I just saw this on Facebook. Uh, a friend on Facebook, Tim Pruitt, posted this, and it's about Yeti. 
compared. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's three tumblers. It's the Yeti tumbler, the Orca tumbler. I have the Arctic tumbler, but uh, and then the Ozark Trail, which is yeah, usually I saw, sold. I saw at, there's at, a couple other companies doing them yeah, too now. Yeah, at Walmart. The Ozark Trail one's ten dollars. The Yeti one is about forty bucks, and the Orca one's thirty five. Whatever. The Yeti one won. It had more ice after a certain amount of time than Yeti or the Orca, and I was like, "Dang it, that's really crazy!" Like, um, so it's just as good, if not better, at a way cheaper price. But wait, the reason wait, wait, why wait. You, you said the Yeti one, which one won? Ozark Trail, the ones you get at Walmart. Okay, or, I, thought, or I, Costco I don't know if you said that or misheard it. So the Walmart one. Yeah held ice longer than the yeti right so wow. yeah yeah yet yeti came in second place orca came in third place but ozark trail came in first with they were both empty and mm-hmm. it still had some ice in it right so uh ozark trail the cheapest one that costs like ten dollars one here's my thing though the only reason you would buy that ozark trail uh tumbler and the reason it exists is because of yeti right like like yeti made it so totally. cool to have a tumbler that keeps ice for a longer time right. that it made the ozark trail create a business or, you know, and just add sure. it and make this thing that really good. But Ozark, but Yeti gets nothing from that. So it really is undercutting and hurting Yeti, which is the whole reason I wanted a Tumblr anyway. Right. And I they're did, the ones that did the R&D to get it there in the first place, took the risk, built the company, said, you know what? I'm going to do something above and beyond, no matter what, that's going to be quality. And I'll right. be rewarded for that. And in a way, they are rewarded. And it's got to be flattering that the knockoff, you got the knockoffs coming. So that's the same thing with the, you know, movies go that way. But they make one right. volcano movie. I don't know what volcano and then Dante's Peak or <laughs> whatever it is. They always come at the Armageddon and uh, Deep Impact. I mean, Deep that, Impact. if something that's is hilarious. a good idea, it's going to be copied. So you can take it as flattery in some degree. And sometimes you wind up with, hey, the market for kick ass tumblers is through the roof. Overall, right. right? Like, how many people have kick-ass tumblers now? Way more. So it's, it's true. You know, it's just the way it is, you, dude. I really like those volcano movies. I do too. Man. I love. Them. I thought they were so cool. <laughs> do you remember when the guy like stood now, on the I'm lava? Not, I don't and want to reminisce melted? about the movie itself, Joey. But yes, <laughs> yeah. Point, yeah. Point taken. Go, go watch it. Yeah, Joey. you go watch it and check back with me and Toby in a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to first of all say how much I am enjoying, and I didn't personally think that i was gonna love it this much but house of heroes is unbelievable and how did they pulled off like almost like a 80s metal element to their music maybe that's <laughs> just in my ears but there's it's just a hint but dadgummit if those guys are not great songwriters so anyway i'm just throwing that out there matt hats off to you and your team reva matt mcdonald whoever i'm glad you brought it up can i give you the chart guys. we got some charts on them you want to hear them uh I, it's just a great CD. That's all so I So check this about, out. Man. On alternative albums, they're number 14. Christian albums, number four this week. Uh, independent albums, number 11. Rock, number 20. Uh, that On the top current album sales, number 59. That's just a top yeah. album sales. Wow. They're number 59 this week. So congratulations awesome. and, to House of Heroes on that. Yeah, definitely. And my kids, what, their new favorite song is A Rat. A rad is a rad is that they just love that song. All right. Second thing I wanted to say is just, oh, this to me was just crazy how I thought this through. And I think you guys would be somewhat proud of me. So Toby really upset me the other day. (laughs) So, so it was like, it was surprise. It it was literally the last time uh, that I was going to see him for a while. We all were hanging out 
we were all hanging out at uh, a mutual friend of ours, John. And so Toby had seen, T- Toby had recorded with, with Matt and I earlier, and you guys both could tell that I was a little bit depressed. So I walk in and I really just, I, I didn't feel like I could snap out of it, but I was going to hang out with my friends for sure. And so Toby just starts blasting me in front of two of our closest friends, which it wasn't like I was embarrassed in front of Scott Sinclair and John Basil, but it was just like, I just, I don't want attention right now. And Toby is like, you ha- try starting a business with this <laughs> dude. Like, look at him. <laughs> and it was like, treat me like a spectacle. And so I was just thinking to myself, like, it wasn't like, oh, I hate Toby. It wasn't anything like that. But it's just like, man, that's just, that's just, I don't, why is my best friend putting me in a place to where I'm not, I don't, I'm not even safe. Like he has to like bring me out. I think I know the answer to that. Question. He was unsafe. Oh, here- Around Dumpy and me mm-hmm. and John Basil. No, as, as far as my feelings being like cared for, like it was just so. Anyway, I was thinking, okay, well, what am I going to explain or how I'm going to bring it up? And I started to think about it, and it's just like I wouldn't have wanted Toby to handle it any differently. And here's why: first of all, I know that Toby cares. Secondly, I do know my friend's heart and that he does not want me to suffer. So what would I have wanted in that situation? Like this crazy sympathy, like Toby sitting down next to me, putting his arm around me. Hey, that would have been awkward. Uh, Would I have wanted like a lot of attention as far as, man, we are so sad that you're sad, man. Just let us know if there's any. No, I wouldn't have liked that. Uh, Would I have wanted everyone to like slow down and like uh, pamper me or any of that stuff? And I was just like, no, the, the absolute, even though none of, nothing that Toby could have done would have been the the best solution or or comfortable for me. The absolute best thing that he could have possibly done was what he did. And that was bring some very lighthearted, shallow attention to it because that put me in a place to where I was like, okay, I am with friends. We are talking about it very casually. What else would I want? You know what I'm saying? Right. But I, I, I think reflecting on that makes me realize when I'm depressed, nothing is going to like feel good in general. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have wanted Toby. To, so anyway, Toby, so this is turning from a, I just want to tell you that I was a little upset with you too. I apologize for being upset at the moment. So, uh, and, and honestly, I think about it and I think most people, would think that that was a jerk move on Toby's part. Most people would have been like, no, man, you got, you have to be, you know, caring and all that stuff. Yeah, and, somewhere between 99 and a hundred percent. Yeah. Right now. Now here, here's, here's what I would say. If they're <laughs> like for Matt and Toby, if there was never a time where you guys actually had serious conversations with me about my depression. And if there was never a time where y'all showed sincere care, well then I would feel like, huh, this is really weird. Matt and Toby say that they're super close friends, but it doesn't seem like they even care about this element of my life. Well, that's not the case. There are times when we have very serious discussions. I can tell that you guys put a lot of thought, and y'all don't owe me this, mm-hmm. but y'all do put a lot of thought into my depression because y'all don't like I, it. Definitely. I think about it all the time. And I'm going to say, I told Toby this, and I'll tell you there's an episode of the podcast called Invisibilia that came out a couple weeks ago, two episodes back. And it, talks about treatment of mental illnesses and it suggests that almost the best thing to do it to to, the way to handle it is to kind of not really uh diagnose it and almost to ignore it and they talked about this town where in in amsterdam or i don't know where it was in holland somewhere or something where they take people in and they take mentally ill people and put them in 
essentially foster homes, even if they're adult, like they're boarded with other people and they don't tell the people what the person's affliction is and they just deal with them. But it's not their family members that have all this baggage and expectations and things they expect of the person and feel pity for them because they know they have this disorder or this disorder. They just live together. And so sometimes they think, yeah, he's, I'm sure there's something wrong with him, but he's being a dickhead right now. And they treat him exactly that way. So they kind of don't get special treatment. And it's almost something really good about that. Now it's really hard to have a friend that you know has depression and uh, treat him normal. That's actually hard. And so I think yeah. when Toby or me do that, in some ways, I think it is the abnormal way and it might could even be good. And I think that's what you're saying right now. Anyway, I hope both of y'all will listen to that episode because it's kind of interesting, at least. Well, here's what I would like to say in my defense. You, what are you defending? Yeah, we're praising you, Toby. No, everybody is going to think I'm a jerk. You are? Here's what I want to say. Right? No, I don't think I am. <laughs> what did I just say to you? I'm not saying you are. I'm saying people listening okay. think it's, it's, it's rude that I would make fun of you and say, well, I looked at Dumpy. I remember exactly. I knew this exactly what Joey was going to say because I looked at Dumpy and said, you imagine starting a business with a guy like this? <laughs> I said, and I went to Knowing that he was depressed at that moment I did and all struggling. This stuff. Right. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Do you know how many times that we have been around John Basil and Dumpy and our wives, and I've been sitting there, and Joey comes in and makes the most embarrassing actions towards me in front of them completely. I didn't want it. I just wanted to hang out and talk to Dumpy about being a vice principal or whatever. Joey has done that a million times, but because of his mood, he didn't like that. So I am now under the impression that if Joey is depressed, that is fine. That is who he is. That cannot affect me. I can't allow Joey's depression to make me not treat my friend like I would. I, that's how Joey and I always are with each other. Joey's always going to come in and try and wrestle me to the ground and pull my shirt over my head or say something unbelievable. Or Anybody that knows Joey in my relationship knows that for the most part, if Joey isn't depressed, he's going to be doing something to embarrass me because he thinks it's really funny. And I like that about Joey. That's a good personality trait. So what I'm saying is I'm joking with Joey just like I would regardless of if he's depressed, like, because he's That's my right. friend. I'm thinking, this is yeah. my friend, Joey. Like, whatever's going on with Joey, I don't like it. I don't want him to be that way. It it's sucks for me. I'd way rather Joey be joking around and happy, but I want to be joking around and happy. So with that, that's why I kind of want to be that way. Like, that, that is still me. Like, that's not me being mean or jerky. It's just in that instance, it could be perceived that way because your mental state, but it, that's how we always joke with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, we yeah. always joke with each other that I way. think there's so a good I, point I'm, to that. I think... I mean, I because if you kinda... know somebody's disordered and then you treat them disordered, now they don't even get treated normal. So not only are they not normal, they're experiencing the world in an imbalanced way too because people are careful with the guy with the broken leg or whatever. And so that right. you know, if everybody treats you as that guy, it reinforces. I mean, there's a lot to that. Right. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate you thinking that through before you like, like just react in anger. I do appreciate that. I can see well, why I that would. Re- I wasn't going to react in anger. I was just going to talk to you and just say, look, I, I'm probably in the wrong here, but I, I was hurt. But in, in additionally, in uh, Toby's defense, since Toby is sensing that he needs to be defended for some reason, I mean, there has also been times where I, uh, many times, I mean, Toby and I have known each other now for like 20 years. So there been many times where I've actually approached Toby in a very serious manner. And I guarantee you, he could tell that I was depressed or obsessing or being irrational, but I was coming to him for a solution or for advice or just to be able to vent. And you didn't just snap back 
and give me a wedgie and say, oh, it's bullshit. Right. Ho, 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 you're being stupid. No, you took it serious and you actually had a conversation. Now, sure, maybe sometimes it's tough love and dude, you just, you can't go there. This, this is not good for you and stuff, but you know, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm further defending you that it's, and it's crazy too, because I would, and it like my rationale and my thought process, it was very quick and it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah, there's nothing to talk to Toby about. I wouldn't have wanted him to do anything I like that. Else. Good insight, Joey. Toby, you got other stuff Very from deep. your adjustment to your new town you want to talk about? You uh, said some stuff. I yeah. haven't been able to catch up with you too much lately. Well, I'm ready for you okay, to get the, stabilized and get to work, but what's going on? Well, this is the second day I'm back on the keto diet. Um, and so the second day, the second day of low-carb keto stuff, always I have no energy. So today I've just definitely. been like going down to the kitchen, like getting some nuts or trying to eat some hamburger meat or sandwich meat or something like that. It, there's some reason I think it's just the sugar's officially out and I'm not running on sugar. Yeah. So, the second, uh, third day is awful when you get back. Yeah. But it's so funny. And one day I literally lost three pounds immediately. It's just, I know that's a lot of water weight and stuff, but it's still just so hilarious that you can lose that weight. So I am a little bit non-energy, but I'm getting there. I'll be fine. About two days from now, I'm going, I'll be Do totally you think fine. You're 100%. like a keto lifer in a general way, at least. Pretty close. I, here's what I will say. I think I should be. I, I don't know if I will be, but I do believe that my body is very negatively affected, especially by like fried bread. I know that sounds maybe not crazy, but, but like, uh, carbs, like, I, I don't think like fruit really bothers me that bad necessarily, but I do think that, um, carbs really do affect me mentally and physically more than I would like to admit, honestly, <laughs> uh, for sure. Cause I love them. I love carbs. I love pizza and all that stuff, but I know for sure about a week from now, because I've kind of just been eating whatever, because we've been moving and traveling and all this stuff, I know that I'm going to feel better. I, not not like, oh, I'm oh, yeah. so clean and healthy. I'm the best I've ever, not like that, but just actually a little better. Like, okay, I don't feel quite as shitty. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, for sure. So I think, I, I really do believe I have a, a carb addiction. And uh, like Joey kind of said, you know, when he did, he felt like a sugar addiction. I don't, I, maybe it's sugar, but I do believe for me, it's kind of like a carb thing. Like I feel like there's times where I need a piece of bread. Yep. Like I need it. I did not want to open up with this, but <laughs> <laughs> just open up, bud. I will. Like I literally, uh, two days ago, I went back on keto and today I was in the grocery store and I was in the fruit section and I was so miserable. Like I had a headache. I felt nauseous. Yep. Like, and I just was like, I got a podcast. Like, I just feel <laughs> horrible. And so I went home and I went to town on cantaloupe. I was like, oh, no. F this. You were almost through, though. It only takes a couple of days. Let me ask y'all this. To town on cantaloupe. <laughs> Can't, I would have got yeah. Sour Patch Kids at least. I mean, well, no, for me, it was just like, it's, it. it's, it's hot. I'm sweating like crazy. I'm, I, like, I really felt dehydrated. And I was just like, fruit just sounds so good. So let me ask y'all this. Like Matt, I was thinking about you and you're, you're so committed to, to keto. I would say even more so than Toby. Sorry, Toby. But Matt, you, you don't have a huge sweet tooth. Like you don't like, like it, you don't like necessarily indulging in ice cream and brownies and cookies and stuff like that's not really your thing. You don't like breakfast. So thus you don't really care about donuts and pastries and all that. So Toby, you do is part of the struggle. Like, Ooh, I just really want to eat that. Or is, are you just saying the struggle is, is the actual physical response of 
feeling drained or headaches or something like that because I'm I'm not giving up on it. Like I know I definitely have set myself back by eating a bunch of cantaloupe, but I'm not. <laughs> no, you but, just started but, over is all it means. So now two days from now, you're going to feel that way again. But that time, don't give in. Right. Yes, I agree that the third day when you haven't had any sugar, it's difficult, but that's because your body's adjusting to a different fuel source. It's very mechanical. Right. It makes total sense. It's to be expected, and it means that you're almost through it. So don't right. cave in on the third day, on the fifth day, on the sixth day, you're going to be golden. You just have to make it there when, when, yeah. when yeah. you're off. So this is the best thing about keep, forget all the science, forget every single thing about it. If you eat less than 30 carbs a day for a few days or a week or two weeks, every single thing just boils down to simply this. You will have total control over your appetite. You will eat less calories. You won't be hungry. You won't have the blood sugar down. It's not a technical thing. If you eat keto, if you don't eat carbs, stay under 30 a day, that simple, you will have full control of your appetite and you won't have the cravings. You'll be able to walk. You'll be able to sit there and look at a meal that other people are eating and you don't even need to. I mean, you don't even have to worry about it. And that is the, the entire power of the keto diet is exactly that your hunger is under control. But you didn't quite make it to that point. So you're not ever going to get back in if you cave every two or three days. Right, but I, I'm not. I don't want to call total BS, but I definitely like when I did keto for six weeks. I would say, yeah, I definitely maintained a higher level of control. But I definitely, if somebody was eating something with carbs and stuff, it wasn't like, oh, I don't care about that. I mean, and I, I will say, it's not for everybody. So if that's not the way your body responds, fine. But for me, it's super right. clear. Like I love candy, I really do. But I can handle it once I get in keto three or four days. I can. I just have complete control over my appetite, and that is the power of it. Joey, you so, probably should do like paleo, which allows fruit and and some vegetables and stuff that aren't on like keto. I mean, I mean, I mean, keto does too. It just kind of depends on how many carbs. You probably should just literally count carb grams, right? Like he he shouldn't just be, budget like you yourself think, fifty carbs. That it would be a good right. start. No matter that what, way, everybody can reduce their sugar intake. That way, if you're feel, if, so it doesn't if you're feeling you low, if you do fifty, you you could potentially eat some cantaloupe and be okay. I mean the the most weight that I've ever lost. I mean I was down to one hundred eighty eight, and it was only counting calories. And I so basically I was exercising more, and I knew how much calories I was burning. And then I was eating better because I didn't want to put junk in my body that would, you know, zap all my calories. That's that's when I lost the most weight. Yeah, but again, keto works if you can control it. Full disclosure here: he is talking. He he was eleven years old. He was eleven, and yeah. right, and he weighed one eighty nine, right. and he lost one pound counting calories. <laughs> well, I mean, well, how much are you now? Four about four about what two ninety five. You're four. No, you're four ninety five. If y'all don't mind, we got Ben Sledge coming up here in a second. But I made an oath and a promise to our audience that we I would do some barbecue science this month. So I want to get to that. Unless y'all got something else, can I let me lead you into this? Go spend a lot of time on this. I, I'm becoming a griller. Oh, really? I, okay. So, well, yep. So y- y'all know I got screwed on my uh, washing machine and dryer. I made the washing the dryer work, but the washing machine still doesn't work, and the guy never sent the money, and he's just a piece <laughs> of shit. Honestly. <laughs> But anyway, so I, I I thought I'm gonna make it up. I looked on Craigslist and there was a free grill. It was a free uh, gas grill, uh, and so I grabbed it. You exclusively searched the free tab on Craigslist. Am I right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I found this free grill and it was near me. I was like, hey, I'm gonna go get that thing. I'll I'll get a propane tank or whatever. So when I got it home, I was like, you know what? I really cleaned it up. It was all looking terrible, and I really worked hard. And it looks great now. 
And there's enough space where I was like, I think I'm just going to see if I can make this a charcoal grill. So we did brats this weekend, and I want to say I am loving it, and I'm doing really good. You got me on the kick. I'm ordering a thermo- a thermostat, thermo- I guess a thermometer, thermometer. Um, for, for the meat and for the grill. The Actually, great like a, a, yeah. a oven temp and a, dual, a meat temp? A dual. dual that's great. Yep, a dual, dual. Was it prong or prong or, or a probe? Dual um, probe, yep. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to get a dual probe, and I am really excited. And I have to give credit to Matt. Those wings that you made the last time I was in Seattle – has been in the have been in the back of my mind, Matt, Joey. I promise you, some of the best wings I've ever had in my life. I didn't even tell Matt that. I thought they were just that good. It was really unbelievable. Good, yeah. So I'm going to learn how to do that because I know my wife will like it, and it's really fun. Those really, specifically like, I was were kids, smoked wings. So I cooked them indirect for about an hour, and then charred them over the direct over the coals at the end, and then I make an Alabama white sauce to put on those. But they're not. That's yep. really one of the easiest things. Uh, to do if you're going to get into smoking on on a grill, yep. but you can do That's it even exactly. on a charcoal if you can make an indirect heat side. So, can I tell you today what I want to talk about is we'll roll the music. All right, hit the music. Astrophysics, chemistry, cellular biology, mathematics, gravitation, electromagnetism, evolution, and now it's time for. Science lessons for Christians, because when it comes to science, Christians are stupid. What I want to talk about today, first of all, if you missed my last Barbecue Science Month of July segment, it was on heat, and uh, we talked about conduction, convection, and radiation types of heat, because cooking essentially is heat plus time. Uh, And so today I'm going to get more specific. We'll talk about meat, and I'll go more specific than that. We're going to just talk mainly about beef today. So, Toby, if you're grilling, let me give you some tips and some things to think about when you go to the store and understand how the meat I'll take that you're notes. Now, we all know on the keto diet that the one thing that the thing that we're allowed to eat that's a good thing that we should be, you know, really enjoying is fat. So instead of seeing right. that big fatty edge on the steak and going, "Ooh, yuck," uh, which I can understand why people don't love a big giant fat thick piece especially if it's cooked poorly it's chewy it's gross people have always told you fat is bad yeah i get that but take a deep breath and try to understand that fat is where the flavor comes from and try to find your fat marbled within your beef so think about a ribeye steak and it's marbled in there like swirled in there so the more white chunks you can see uh interspersed in the tissue of the steak that's going to be a better steak and that's not just a, really a matter of opinion. That's how the uh, beef is grated. So if you ever go to a steakhouse and get a great steak, it's because it had these little tiny pockets of fat interspersed all the way through the steak. And then when they cooked it at the right temperature with the right type of heat, that fat rendered, melted, and became like just the most buttery good flavor in the middle of the meat. And that's what everybody really, really likes. And some people like to eat the fat edges if you cook them right. But nonetheless, fat in the meat is what you're looking for. So if you go into the dairy case and you see the meat, you see the USDA, uh, and they have there's select, there's choice, there's prime, there's Angus, there's certified Angus B, black Angus. There's every there's every kind of different thing there. But the basic one there, the lowest grade is select, and forty percent of the meat that comes off of a cow is is select, and that is essentially no marbling at all. It's just solid red. And that can can really be tough, and it's, it's not really as good. The next step up there is choice, 
which is a, a lot of the beef that you see there. And there's a few different grades of choice. I won't go into it. And then there's prime beef, which you can buy in, uh, as well. And it's only 3% of beef is actually prime beef. So out of all the cows that live and die and are slaughtered and everything else, only 3% of them have, in, and all they're graded on here is literally visually assessing the meat and seeing how much fat is spread out through the tissue of the meat. That is what, that are, those are the different grades of the meat. So since we're keto adapted people and we, we love fat, then, then good. That's good for us to understand uh, and lean into. So then you get into arguments and people think different things. And I respect the different points of view on stuff like organic or grass fed. So grass fed, for instance, is way less fatty. Um, and it tastes, it tastes a little bit weird. I'm not a big fan of the taste of grass fed, although some of the arguments for why it's better for you, totally reasonable. Toby, you like grass fed? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think the only the thing about grass fed, I think, is there are less antibiotics and stuff in it too. Maybe I think that's might Not be the case. So, organic can't have any antibiotics or hormones. Okay, but organic so, grass fed usually often go together. In which case, and, and right. I would assume that grass fed is the way it was intended, right? Not shitload of corn. Yeah, but yep, I yep. I get I, I'm okay with corn in the sense of you're right. It is uh, the fat is mm-hmm. flavor. Sometimes they so, feed them grass ahead. their whole life and then finish them off with corn to get them fat at the end. And then there's the ethical. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a complicated thing. And I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap that up in a little bit. But anyway, that's how they do grades of beef. Uh, the other thing about beef is aged. So if like if you have fresh beef, like if you had a, a a cow and they chopped it up in front of you and gave you a steak, you'd probably be horrified with how. Uh, bad it was and not tender and not not no. good so they age beef wet aged and dry aged uh so wet aged is what you're normally going to encounter and it's vacuum packed and then they let it sit for a while tenderizes up a little bit dry if you ever see those dry aged steaks that's crazy because it's essentially like a controlled rotting it's really interesting and even the outside of the steak sometimes mold and they'll hang them up in a in a uh, a sterile environment this this for 30 and 60 days and the meat almost turns blue and essentially it rots, but also the enzymes and stuff yeah. there are, are tenderizing. So if you go to a really nice steakhouse and get a dry aged beef steak, that's actually uh, what's going on there, which I think is pretty interesting. But the weird thing about all of it is, and when you think about grilling and if you're going to think about barbecue science, I, here's what I'm not doing is pushing you into these high grade, super expensive. You can go to Wagyu, you can go Kobe. There's stuff that gets crazy. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to do that because, again, if you think back about temperature, heat, uh, heat, heat, and time, and how you cook something, it's unbelievable that you can make smoked wings. Uh, you can do a chuck steak. You can do a pork shoulder, low and slow, two hundred twenty-five degrees for multiple hours until it reaches an internal temperature of something like two hundred four or five degrees, and the most cheapest, toughest cut of meat will become nice and tender so yes i love a ribeye steak that costs 60 dollars at a steakhouse unbelievable right but if you cook a, a chuck steak it's two 399 a pound and cook it right it will it will be the best thing you've ever had in your life full of fat amazing steak you can put it on and, and slow cook it for several hours until it reaches an internal temperature about 204 or 5 degrees at which point all of the the collagen and the connective tissue uh breaks down and you you can have something that's just completely amazing so lots of stuff falls into that category uh, some of the best foods i've ever had are, are cheap cuts of meat you know pulled uh, pulled pork uh, is 2.99 cool. a pound. you can get it for a dollar 99 a pound at costco 
and you cook it nine hours at the right temperature, get it right, and you will you will love it. And in every case, the one common thread is you want something with a pretty good fat content. I have go ahead, Joy. I was just gonna say I I feel like I've really mastered cooking a steak on a frying pan. Yeah. Conduction, like, my friend. It is. Yeah. Well, basically, it's. I, I just never realized this. I just had to Google it. But if you turn the heat all the way up on the mm-hmm. oil and then you uh, dry the steak on both sides, then you put the salt, pepper, garlic, or whatever to where it's actually on it, and then it gets yep. seared on there. Oh that's my great. gosh! So, so there's good. one that you sear the sides. That's great. The, the last thing I want to say. Now squeeze everything in. We go to break. Get out of here. There's something interesting that I feel bubbling and I've seen stuff about, and I think this is probably the future. So this is a little bit of a prediction, although it's not entirely my own, but I think these crazy beefs and uh, with the way factory farming is, I feel like beef is going to go the way of coffee. So pay attention over the next five to nine, 10 years. I think you'll see like these, this movement of, you know, how coffee is like sourced, Here's the origin. Here's the details about this particular uh, breed and species of coffee that grows at this altitude or whatever. I think you're going to see that with beef because people are going to move. I think people are going to continue to pay more and more for it. Factory farms will be frowned upon. Um, there's going to be the lab growth movement for beef. And I think also there's going to be that the, the very parallel thing to the way people do whiskey bourbon and coffee, where it's just every detail is paid attention to. And it's this exact species of cow grown this way, fed this way, and there'll be proprietary names for it and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's the case. I don't even know if I'll follow that movement, but I think that's interesting because I think we, we're going to see that emerge. That's a prediction. That's interesting, man. That's interesting. We'll just have to, we'll just have to hold on to our butts and wait. You huh? just have to wait and see. But keep yeah. in mind the whole time, cheap-ass pork is so good. And then you know what? Speaking of beef, I just don't think there's anything better than 80-20 ground beef grilled with some american cheese melted over it i don't know if many ribeyes taste much better than that to me i love it all i think it's all great a good hamburger i've always wondered that if you were if you were trapped on an island and would you and you could either have steak or ground beef every if you had every day a ribeye or ground beef right it's a toss-up but they're both wonderful i think i would choose the hamburger if you had to put price into consideration then it wins by a landslide three dollars a pound I just think I would get tired of eating steak every day, but a hamburger, every hell day. yeah. It's just it's just right for me. So all right, well, let's take a break. Take a break. We'll be right back with Ben Sledge. Take a break. We'll be right back, Ben Sledge. Take a break. We'll be right back with Ben Sledge. <laughs> ben, what's going on? Hey. Hey Ben. Hey Ben. Hey, how's it going? All right, Ben. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh <laughs> glad to be here. Coming to you live from Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by Spare Men and all kinds of churches across the country. Today's guest is Ben Sledge. Ben, say hello to all the guys and girls out there listening. Hello. I'm glad to be on. The, that's not my real voice. I just, I, wanna, I was trying I to try you went for it. Yeah, let's go back you the other it. way. Let's go back the other way. <laughs> all right. Anyway, Ben, we are happy to have you on the show, man. You hit us up and, uh, we know you through our mutual friend Jake Lors, and you what you work with uh, Heart Support or what? Yeah, I'm the director of operations there. So like I'm I'm Jake's right hand man. I run the ship while he's uh while he's out on tour and uh, making sure that everything's smoothly running. Connect with bands and just the fans throughout everything that we do at Heart Support. Is that a full time gig? 
Yeah, it's a full-time gig, and then I'm a volunteer pastor at my church as well. That's awesome. So you, your life really is running heart support full-time, interacting, doing everything, like technical stuff and relational stuff both. Right, exactly. That's and great. you really you really care about people, it sounds like. Yeah, I, do. I mean, I... That's so hard. It's, it's so really hard. hard. Yeah, I mean, it, sometimes it's a beat down. It's like, you know, it's, not, it's what they say, no good deed goes unpunished. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, you try and help people... And they will hate you for it. <laughs> are, are, yeah. there, are you guys are a nonprofit, right? Right. And so you, the, all the operations money comes out of raising money. Is it for you guys? Is it more uh, some large donors and organizations, or is it just tons and tons of you know small uh, micro funding? Yeah, it's small micro funding. That's the crazy part. Everyone bitches a lot about millennials not giving. Right. And the predominant donor base that we have is young millennials that are given like 10, 20 bucks. Exactly. I think that's um, the weirdest thing because there's two things that I'm really surprised about. But now that I think about it, I guess it makes sense is when we started doing this and started accepting money and stuff, I thought, well, eventually we'll have some really big people that give and that'll be a big part of it. We got, I mean, as far as organizations or like four digit anything, there's nothing like that. It's, I mean, we do have yeah. to be able to give a tremendous amount of money as individuals like $50 and $100 and stuff like that. But we don't have anything that I would consider major donors and no organizations. And the other thing is, I thought when we start doing this, communicating online, Christianity, this stuff, uh, we'll probably do public speaking or get asked to go places to speak. And that'll be another thing um, that we will do. And never once has anybody ever asked us or paid us to come speak anywhere. And I, <laughs> I'm super surprised about that. But now that I think about both of those and understand what the climate is really like, that makes sense. I think it's exciting that it's. Does that have a, to do with you guys not being like, this is a problem. We run the same problem you guys do. Like we're not secular enough for the secular world and we're not Christian enough for right. the Christian. Yeah. I mean, think yeah, about it. Who would really want to ask me to come speak on something at their church? They'd just be terrified. So sometimes if yeah. we get to do a festival like we did a few weeks ago or something like that, but really. And and the churches that would be interested, it it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know if it would be the right setting because, no. you know, I yeah. mean, it's just. But what I'm saying well, is both and, of those and what, things and to are ben, cool. And though. to Ben's point too, though, like we can't get in the other side either because like we say, yeah, I'm, I'm not pro-choice well, uh, or, or, or I'm not this or I'm not this or I'm just trying to figure stuff out, whatever it might be. Yep. I feel like we can't be where we are. Th- th- the same thing happened with us with Emory, our band, where we were either we sang too much or we screamed too much to go out on tours of band or we weren't Christian enough or we, we were too Christian with the other ones. We've always kind of been right in the middle of it, which, which would seem like we could fit with everybody, but right. it almost excludes, excludes us from everything. Yeah, but Ben, here's what's which, great which about shows that. shows just how intolerant people are on both yeah. sides. No, but that's what's good about it, though. That's something I didn't understand going into this that I do now and I think is amazing about heart support and stuff like that is because you, if you had some huge sponsor, not sponsors, but uh, donors or contributors like that, you would kind of have to care about them in a different way than other people, and you'd have to make sure you didn't upset them, and you have to kind of cater to them more so. Yeah. So when you have microfunding from hundreds and thousands of people, you can continue to do whatever you want because no one of them holds any sway. So I think that that is great. And the fact that you're, you know, too Christian for this or what that just means that you're more mobile and nimble and free than big institutions and organizations and, and people are. So I think that's great. Like yeah. it's amazing, really. It's preference. Uh, it's, it's crazy though. I mean, the amount of flack that you'll get sometimes just for like, writing the word shit on a blog or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, we had a blog one time go like pretty viral and it was called why I'm a Christian and continue to suck at being one. Uh-huh. And, 
like the Christians who were like super Christian, all they could focus on was the fact that the blog said shit. <laughs> so, yeah, right. uh, yeah, but that's like one guy or or ten guys that have eighteen Twitter followers versus a yeah. VP of ad sales at Coca Cola or the lar- <laughs> third largest church that gives you all your funding. You know, like that's that's yeah. a better problem to have. But that is yeah. funny. It's funny that you say that. We uh, just did a, a living room show in Atlanta, and the host had just recently gotten fired from a church because i think he said in a blog post he had put the word hell yeah it was something like that and then they they called him out on it and then i think in an older post or a different post he said something like damn or something and they were like that's it man you've crossed the line also which is funny because i think the that that one of the pastors there though was going through like unreal an unreal affair and was leaving the church and and you're like well dang it i mean I obviously didn't let that guy go, but I mean, this other thing. And so people get really weirded out by stuff for sure. And they don't, uh, I do wonder too, like, is it just this day and age where we just, we really are missing the point. One of the reasons we wanted to bring you on here too, is to talk about your military past and, and the article that you, you had written about. I, I just really like the, the idea. Well, I don't like it, but it's, it's a very interesting idea of our military and how our church views them. And uh, I, I mean, I want you to speak more on that, but just one thing I, that uh, your article and uh, then just this you bringing it up to me just makes me think like I, I really have realized more and more sometimes the church is like guilty of like parading our military vets in front of the church and going this hero and all this stuff and then just kind of ending it there like okay you're a hero and you, nobody knows what that that guy or girl has gone through or is going through now mentally emotionally spiritually and everybody just says well you're a hero and if they feel like oh crap I'm living a lie where do they go right I mean, it's crazy. And you were like, military, Ben? Yeah, I uh, I spent a, 11 years in the military. Um, I spent most of that within a special operations detachment in the Army. Um, I fought in Afghanistan and Iraq. I was wounded in action in Afghanistan and um, lost my best friend there. Uh, came home, uh, and that's when you know things just really started going to hell. Real How long quick. ago was that when you got home? Uh, so my first tour was in Afghanistan from 2003 to 2004. And that was, um, I was on a small forward operating base right next to the Pakistani border, kind of near Wazuri stand where nobody's ever been able to control that area at all. Like the, the British, the Soviets, no one. Uh, so it was just a lot of fighting. I survived 67 attacks while I was there. Gee. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was a party <laughs> the minute. Uh, the funny thing was, is when we landed too, I, this is when I knew like I was in trouble is, um, so the, the base that I land on, landed on was named Camp Harriman and somebody had crossed that out and put rocket city. So I was like, oh cause it, you just got ordered all the time. Uh, and I was like, well, we're in trouble. And then the first sight, so I get off, I see that. And then I walk off this, you know gravel like rock landing zone where they can literally only stay for a few seconds because they're afraid of you know just getting lit up and um there's two two guys in their shirts and if you've ever seen the movie jarhead you'll know what i'm talking about but they are stirring these half uh cut barrels of just human shit and oh boy putting you know um jp8 which is jet fuel on it and they're stirring it it's just on fire and one of them, while they're stirring, it just leans over and vomits. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm getting oh into. So, oh <laughs> that so is it, insane. 
Yeah. So, so when you come back, that's the thing that's so, super weird is we we put these people in this position that's, I mean, it's ancient as far as the position it's in, but it seems like reintegration is, is really hard. And the thing that always confuses me about it is, do people ask you too many questions and want to talk about it all the time and you don't want to, or do they don't want to talk about it enough? I'm always confused by that because I know people get, did you kill anybody? And I know you don't want to talk about it. But on the other hand, do we, should we be more, how can we be more involved? Yeah, honestly, you know, the, the big thing that I've been studying and um, just recently I had a, a filmmaker approach me about uh, after I wrote that blog that, that blew up. Um, they, a lot of people are coining what's happening to soldiers um, as called moral injury now. Uh, as opposed to post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, think about it like this. Women who are raped can often experience post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And so they won't walk down, like, a dark uh, hallway or corridor because that's where the event happened. Uh, Soldiers, like, yesterday was a terrible day for most of us because it just sounds like everything that we experienced in war with it being July 4th. Mm -hmm. Um, So the noises, the sounds, everything trigger that fear and that emotion. Um, And the way that you combat post-traumatic stress disorder is they, ha- they have you relive that fear so you don't become afraid of it. What happens when you're, like, you're forced to shoot a kid or you do something morally questionable and they keep telling you to relive that and relive that and relive that, um, you run into this thing where it's called moral injury to where it's the things that you do in war that are questionable, mm-hmm. that violate your sense of morality. It, it makes you feel like less of a hero. And then people want to know about the morally questionable things like, Hey, did you kill anybody? And that was like one of the first questions I think I got when I got off the, the plane. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's the word. And then the other one is, is just ignore it. Like kind of let the VA handle it. And then, right. the church, and then there's the church, which for me is just like, that's been the biggest blunder of all. Like in watching it, you know, as a pastor, I'm like, man, we are, we are punting on this hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that has to do for me, I believe with the fact that, like you said, we're just parading them around there. Uh, they are, you know, fodder for um, a sermon um, to draw spiritual parallels between uh, where you have like, you know, hey, here's Ben who went to Iraq and he wasn't a Christian. And guess what? Now he's a Christian now and he faced down his demons and you too can do the same. Everybody pray and, uh, you know, learn some lessons out of this. So. Wrap it, um, wrap, wrap it up real nicely. Yeah. And quickly. And they, they want a tiny, they want a bow on it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, it's like, there. so just to give you an example, like, I guess the questions really that, that we need to be asking, let me present it and tell a story first is, um, when I first arrived in Afghanistan, I met my replacements. And one of the guys there was like, man, you, there's just going to be stuff here that happens that you don't know how to deal with. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I'm a school teacher back home. And he's like, I'm a reservist. And, uh, and he goes, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to go back to like normal life after this and talk to, you know, elementary school kids. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, one day we called in the wrong fire mission. He said, we dropped a, he said, we dropped fire in on this house, killed all these kids. And he said, and I'm having to pull these kids out of this rubble and hand them to their parents and just tell them how sorry I am. And he goes, and I got kids at home. And he goes, and I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that anymore. Jeez. And I was like, <laughs> you know, how do you stand up in front of your church and tell them that one? Right. right. Um, 
and the thing is, is people don't want to hear those. But stories. should, but should you? Is does that have a place? And like, if, I mean, as a pastor, would you want to have somebody in your church and have tell that story and leave it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think so often we try and and make we don't embrace the struggle and the doubt. And you know, there's this. I mean, we all have struggles with our faith. And I, I was listening to one of your podcasts because I listen to you guys pretty often. And you were one of you who has the the view of an uh, annihilationist. That's uh, Joey. 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 Joey has the end time view of, in uh, like that was a real wrestle for you for a long time. Um, Not according to Matt. Matt just thinks that I believe it because it's easy. <laughs> functional. I didn't say easy. It's a functional belief. Ring. One second hell is easy to swallow. Right. <laughs> One second hell. Um, go to hell. Bye. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. So. There has to be this life isn't pretty and neat. And we keep giving people seven steps to have a better marriage and seven steps to, you know, combat depression. But what happens when those things don't work? And here's what we're doing. Like throughout all the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, when you see Jesus, the Roman centurion, when he becomes a Christian, he doesn't tell him, oh, you're doing evil stuff now. And like, if you know anything about Rome, like they crucified men and women by the thousands mm-hmm. and yeah. to set them up as an example, lined them up against the streets and said, don't mess with Rome. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, quit your job because, you know, you're working for an evil empire. He, he just says, do what's right and, and live out your faith. He doesn't tell the, the soldier to quit it, to quit his job. And you look at the stories throughout the Old Testament of war and battle and the things that happen there. And everybody forgets like, you know, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, who probably had to pick up a sword and fight during his time period. And if you look in Lamentations 3, he talks about how his soul hurts from what he has to remember and what he endures and what he dwells with. And we don't, we don't talk about any of those things in church. We don't talk about the great cost that we're putting on our brothers, sisters mm-hmm. to carry this burden. Well, and, what is the is the expectation that they could be healed or reintegrated? I don't know what the, the terminology even is, uh, you know, specifically, but is it even maybe not possible or unreasonable, like the expectations of it? Like if I think about all of humanity, there's always been war, there's always been these things. I mean, is it a sacrifice that these people make and there's no coming back? Is that just a reality? That's, I mean, that's terrifying to uh-huh. say, but it is. Yeah, because I mean, I would still, I'd be, so when I came home from Afghanistan, um, my, like, you couldn't touch me when I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. Like, that was just a big no-no. Um, you couldn't, um, I didn't walk on grass for a year. <laughs> Because when Afghanistan is the heavily, most heavily mined country on earth with like 200 million landmines left over from like the Soviet war. So anytime you got on a path, like, and I mean, here's, here's a really dicked up thing that we did. Like one time we ended up in the middle of the minefield. So we just yelled to our interpreter to like come to us and he didn't know he's in a minefield and we just watched him in case he got blown up first. Like, yeah. And so he realized what he did and he quit, um, what we did, but I was like, (laughs) Yeah. Oh I mean, you, I mean, it's that fight or flight method. And I'm not saying what I did was right. You know, 
um, or what any of us did was right. But, you know, we luckily he didn't hit anything and you do morally questionable things over there to, for self-preservation, but also there's this weird sense of camaraderie with, with your brothers that are there. Um, and the reintegration process is, is very difficult. And I didn't know how to cope when I got home because I didn't understand what I was going through. And so I, I went back to school to get my degree and I'm, you know, I find myself, I'm always walking on a path. Um, I start having, uh, anxiety attacks in class and I don't even know what they are because I've never had them. I just, I go to the doctor and I go, there's something wrong with my heart. I think I need an EKG reading. Um, and finally, you know, I start self-medicating through drugs and alcohol and, you know, it culminates one night when I kick in my girlfriend's door and the next day, like, you know, my parents are there, my roommates are there and they're like, listen, you need help. And, um, I'm always thankful for my counselor, Joy, uh, which was funny that her name, you know, that was the last thing that I had in my life was Joy. But she just took the time to listen and she didn't say what I did was wrong. She never um, sat there and said, you know, you know, what you did was a bad thing or what you did, you you know, don't, don't feel bad about this. This was war. She just said, I'm sorry these things happened to you. And then she would share stories from her life as far as different pains that she had experienced. And, and slowly I began to crawl my way out of this. And then eventually, um, I met two guys that just transformed my life that did the same thing. When I got back from Iraq, my wife had left. Um, and I was like, we're going through this again. And they just, they never, they never said, you know, you're a hero, you did the right thing, or you did what was wrong they just walked with me through the mess, mm-hmm. the process. And one of them, this, this was what really blew me away. He said, um, he said, you know, I'm sorry that I was one of the people that helped send you over there. And I was like, you didn't do that. And he was like, no, no, no. We, we all live in this country. Live in a, we live in a democracy. And he said, regardless oh, wow. of whether I vote or don't vote, we submit to the rules and the governing authorities here. And uh, I'm sorry that that my my hand had a part in this. And I was like, and I I had never thought about it like that. And throughout all of history, um, soldiers, even um, if you look at the soldiers during the Crusades, which of all things, you typically think, man, like what an unjust war. And that's what everybody points to as far as Christians really screwing it up. Um, But returning knights had purification rights to where they weren't allowed in side the church. And I don't know if that's a good call or not or, or whatever, but it was a communal responsibility to restore them to where they were because they believed that taking a human life was wrong uh, and, and morally questionable. And everywhere from the Navajo warriors to um, you know the Roman centurion, there were these purification rites. And, I, and if you look in World War II, uh, we had tons of people that like that, that's where all the focus was. Everybody knew somebody who was engaged in the war, uh, but now only 045 percent of the American population has served in the right. what's the longest running war in the history of the United States. And out of that, we we've just kind of boiled it down to you know um, let's let the VA handle this and let's let other people take care of this. Whereas if the your your friend your neighbor that person in your church just stepped up and said hey i don't i don't necessarily understand what you're going through but i want to be here to walk with you through this 
uh, I think you would see such a dramatic change in our troops. Well, let me ask you this about the morally questionable aspect of all this. So this, I think, is a cop-out on my part, but it really is an easy way for me to think this through. But as a Christian, I have like this philosophy of, you know what? I live in an Amer- in United States of America, which is an imperfect con- country along with all the other imperfect countries. Imperfect government that makes bad decisions, good decisions, all that stuff. As a Christian, I need to always have 100% forgiveness towards people, mercy for other people, want what's best for other people, because that's Jesus's kingdom is putting other people first. But as an American, can't I just say, look, outside of Joey Svensson personally doing something that contradicts what Jesus has asked me specifically to do, can't I just follow orders of my government? And if the answer to that question is yes, then what if I was a Christian in another country where their killing is seen as evil by an American? Does it... So, in other words, the Christian that's serving in American military versus the Christian that's serving in Afghanistan, do we all just listen to what our governor's uh, government is telling us to do in military? And is that okay just to say, look, I, I'm under, you know, a country's authority here? Yeah. I mean, I think you get into a delicate balance there of, you know, listening to what God's telling you. And I believe that you know, we all would say that the laws of God supersede that of man. Right. So like if I had gotten an order that I thought was unjust, I wouldn't have followed it. But, you know, at the time I wasn't a Christian, so maybe I would have. But wouldn't some people say that all killing is unjust? Yeah, um, they would. Yeah, people uh, that have a, a no war bumper sticker, but that they're right. not the ones. I mean, they're not solving any problems. I mean. Right. Well, there would be some Christians that would definitely say, if you sh- you shouldn't be in the military because as Christians we don't need to be killing people. That's murder and all that. I mean, yeah, that's I not that min- uncommon. I, I think it's probably a minority. I really? Think, yeah, I think most Christians are, are probably celebrate the military. They do. Well, here's what's bad about it: is no matter what, it's a it's a no win situation because we're saying, oh, I mean, everybody re- really knows we've got to have war. We've got to to kill people in that in that way. Sometimes there's no way around it with humanity. But we just want it to be somebody else, and then we want them to do the sacrifice part and then keep them somewhat separate from us. I mean, that's the problem that we're running into. Right. The, the thing that really stands out to me, too, is um, I, I just know, okay, for example, I've been a worship leader at two different mega churches, and for sure uh, there have been times where something uh, on a smaller scale, I guess, as far as humanity goes, like uh, I have looked at porn the night before and then gone to church and people said the worship was so great. And I said, I cannot, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I felt that I felt some kind of guilt. I can't imagine like that story you told me where, uh, or you told us, like, I can't imagine a church standing up and applauding for you. And you, they're saying, you're a hero. Thank you so much. And you're just thinking I killed kids or, you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. that, that your brain can't get, can't handle that. And so it's really crazy. I, one thing I was going to ask you, like uh, you said, you kicked down your girlfriend's door or whatever, and I, and I think you said maybe even uh, your wife had left when you got back or something. Like you were, you were married or whatever. Can you tell a real change in like your personality? Like you are a different person now. Yeah, I, I think that's the tough part. I, you know, I'm remarried now. I have a newborn at home, and you know, my wife and I we've been married for five years, and it's awesome. But you know, she knows we call it incredible Hulk syndrome where like if she pushes me far enough, 
like there's just like this rage that I, I just can't seem to control anymore. And I just get so angry and borderline violent, you know? And it's like this flip that when you went overseas that gets, you know, that gets turned on. And, and when you come home, you don't know how to turn it off. And I remember I kept a journal while I was in Afghanistan and we got, we got in this firefight one day and, you know, there's just like some dude's brain blown out the side of his head uh, on this like hilltop. And I just sat down, I took off my helmet and just stare. I, I mean, it's still just as real in my mind thinking about it. You know, I can tell you just how crisp the air was, what, color the the sky was what the trees were around me and i just remember thinking wow man that sweet kid that everybody knew growing up just died yeah and i don't think he's ever coming back and to some degree i don't i don't think that kid exists anymore you know I, i mean i went into the world like i grew up in a great household my parents are awesome um you know i got bullied and picked on and high school and was part of the reason why I went to the military and a long kid was, you know, skateboarding and listening to Metallica and Pantera. And so, and, you know, sometimes we're the guy liner. So I was that weird kid. And when I went into the military and everything began to change, I really, you know, and I went to war, I saw the world for what it was. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. And I had to, I, I would have said I was, was like intellectually, I believed, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Nobody looks up in the sky and goes, oh, what's that? And, you know, if they see an airplane, but it's a totally different experience to like get on an airplane and trust a pilot to fly it. And like, I had never gotten on the airplane, like intellectually, I would have been like, yeah, I think Jesus might be God. I don't know. Um, but when I was in Afghanistan and Iraq, I began to really question like, what, what is the purpose of human existence? Like not what's your individual purpose, like, you know, you, for you guys to sing in a band and to, uh, you know, write songs and do a podcast, like, and change people's lives. Like that's, that's an individual focus, but like, what, what about like homo sapiens? And like that, that question just like wrecked my life because I was like, man, we are awesome at killing each other. We're really good at hating and killing each other. And I was like, so what, what is the, the purpose of human life and existence? Is it just pain and suffering? Like the Buddha would say, you know, do we follow the five pillars of Islam to get to somewhere? And I, I just began exploring different paths. And that question nagged me uh, because I, for the first time in my life, I saw this is the human experience and there's a lot of suffering in it. So, uh, and that, that was, that was extremely difficult. And so once I discovered that, like pieces of me begin to change. You know, that's kind of interesting because I, I've noticed a couple of things in other people, and I think your situation is a little bit different than that. But a lot of experience what I have with people in Christian bands is one and some ex-military people is that they were Christians going yeah. in. And so when they come back, they tend to really fall apart, <laughs> yeah. you know, versus it, it'd be way you probably would be better off to find Jesus after, you know, in a way. I think in a way that's actually fortunate to see him as a solution instead of some outdated thing once your whole everything that's part of your, you know, world doesn't make sense anymore, which is what a lot of people go through. I think part of that might be, you know, like how devastating must it be? Can you imagine somebody that grew up like evangelical Christian right Mm -hmm. in there and they go to war and they see all this stuff and they've seen the stuff you've seen and described here that horrify me. And then they come back to church and the people are, you know, doing prayer requests at community group about 
trying oh, to man. struggling with drinking too much yeah. caffeine and Mountain Dew, you know, and then you you're just punch like, him in the face. You, you just go, I, I can't, I cannot be here. Like, you know, and I'm sure, but I'm saying it would be even worse if you grew up with that. And then when you came back and you knew, you already knew all those things that would, it would just drive you crazy. So, you know, in a sense, I almost feel like it must be better or more productive to encounter the real Jesus after uh, something. Yeah. Like and that. like, that was the thing, you know, growing up for me, I grew up in the 1980s, like when the mega church was on the rise. And, you know, as long as you didn't have premarital sex, smoke, and drink, like, mm. you and God were tight, you know? Yeah. And, man, I sucked at following, like, all those rules. So I never really, you know, fit into, like, Club God. And, you know, when I really got the gospel and understood that, like, when it sunk in, uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is the most unreal thing ever. And it, it changed my life. But um, there was still, like, I would go into small groups sometimes and people would find out I was a veteran and they would just ask like the dumbest questions that like were really what are some of those so people will know not <laughs> yeah. to ask them because everybody encounters never ever time, ever so. ask a veteran if they've killed anybody like I mean right what if I walked up to you if you were a rape victim and we're like hey how did it feel to be raped you know right. Right. <laughs> like tell me about that right uh and then that one I think like Oh my God, that one drives me nuts. Um, hey, well, well, let let me stop you right there. What about a close family member where you have some uh, some relationship there? It, couldn't it be an honoring question because you know how deep that pain could be? Are you saying just don't do that to a casual person? And I don't think you should do it. Period. Because yeah. here's why: like you know, like even your own family doesn't understand like yep. the depths of what that's what that has done effectively. To- you would say for maybe for them to be available if you wanted to talk about it, but not. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. But that's like a deep soul wound. Like, you know, if we're created in the Imago Dei and the image of God, and then you just took out another image bearer, like, mm-hmm. I mean, World War II, and what we've done since World War II is we've dehumanized the enemy. It's what we're yeah. doing in our political scene right now. It's why everybody hates everybody is because we don't view people as people anymore. We view them as targets or enemies or yeah. potential threats. Right. The military was the first to really start that. And they did. it was an effective way f- to get soldiers to pull the trigger. 90% of soldiers do not hesitate anymore to pull the trigger, but only 30% of them during World War II you know, fired their weapon at each other. Wow. Hmm, that's wow. I didn't know that. So yeah, there's a fantastic book called On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Grossman that kind of explores this. But um, the reason I would say don't, I mean, don't ask that question is just, it it draws back like really, really hard memories for, for those that have. And yeah. I think it shows a selfishness on behalf of the person asking it. And here's why. It always seems to come from a question from guys. And yeah. John Paul Jones, who was the, the father of the American Navy, said, every man thinks meanly of himself that hasn't been to war to see. And there's a lot of times, like, there's these guys that are fascinated with playing, like, Call of Duty, um, or they can even be far left wing um, and be fascinated with military culture and the history and go see Saving Private Ryan and all these movies and they love the guts and the bravado and everything behind it, but they abhor the, um, you know, the brutality of it. Uh-huh. And, and it's it's kind of like, I think it's an introspective question for them going, because you've killed another man, are you more of a man now? And I think right. that's really the heart behind it as opposed to a caring question. Yeah, and, it, oh, and it's yeah, lose-lose for the, the soldier because, or, or the vet, because... Um, if they didn't, the people think less of them. <laughs> you know, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, you, you weren't in real you, Oh, you didn't kill then. anybody. <laughs> and 
The thing that I think is just very insensitive and just uncaring is for that person asking the question, it ends there. Either, you know, they go, oh, I know somebody that, you know, a military guy who killed somebody or whatever like that. Like, it just ends there. But, but, but for the vet. Good luck with that. Thanks for telling me. The vet, it doesn't. It, it rehashes immediately. Like you said, some of those times you can remember so vividly, like just unbelievable. And for somebody like me just to ask you that question, that brings back a, a, such a vivid memory that is just not easily suppressed or, or, or dealt with and all that stuff. So that's just something that comes right back. I, I, I totally understand. That. I've, I've even, honestly even been guilty of that in the past. And I would say within the last 10 years, I've really realized, man, why would I ask that question? Yeah. I, it just doesn't, it does not help anybody. And am I just asking? So I have a story about a friend that did that. Oh, I know Ben, he did this or that, you know, that, 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 that's nothing that that's disrespecting. Time, like people tell my stories and I'm like, that's so we like do you feel better because you right. know a dude that you like look up to you know it's right. yeah think think about it from your perspective as the fans like people that have met you a few times and they're like oh i know the dudes from emory no they don't right. you know but right they say that yeah you're right they want to yeah. look cool saying that's it. right so uh like with are, are you trying anything like uh, do you have any ideas of of like getting this more awareness of this or, or are you like you said you might be even like working on a movie or something like that but i mean do you have any things specifically Christian or church wise that you, you think we can start implementing to help our vets? Yeah. So one of the things that I would really encourage churches and Christians to do is there needs to be like, you know, churches seem to really love to plug like the homosexual like debate right now in their churches, or they just completely avoid it. And it seems like the war thing, they either put, like I said, the soldiers on the stage or they just don't address it. And the reality is, is these are difficult conversations that we should be having within our churches that point people to the gospel in light of the horrific things and struggles that we all face. So for me, I would love to see like a panel for in my church of four veterans who get to share some of the really, really hard stories um, that happened to them while they were overseas and it, it not be pretty. You know, it's like, this is what happened and this is what went down. And then have, you know, the pastor from there, you know, either through, you know, the rest of the sermon or they have, you know, video clips, however they want to do it, the church wants to do it, um, explain just exactly why war exists. And it's because of the depravity of our human hearts and the fact that we refuse to do what Jesus said, which is love our neighbors ourselves. And so because we refuse to do that, we will always have war until, you know, glory comes. Yeah. And the cost of it is being borne by members in our congregation. Yeah. And we should all yeah. take this very, very seriously. The fact that, that we aren't living out the great, you know, commandment to one another. And I think when you put it at that, when the weight of responsibility falls on all of us, as opposed to just mm-hmm. the men and women who serve. It, it does, it frees us up, like the men and women who serve, because we go, we're, we're all a part of this now. That makes me kind of sick to think about it, like the way you said that when, when that person apologized to you for sending you there. Also, you could probably say from lack of education and fostering of polarization and just dormant and, you know, and blatant racism and dehumanizing of other people that we all participate yeah. in. That's what, that's why, and so do the other cultures that we fight wars with. That's, that's what sent you there too, you know, so to, to ignore those things and just enjoy political ranting against Muslims on Facebook causes us more likely to be in war and have direct casualties as well as, you know, emotional, yeah, psychological yeah. casualties of our veterans. I think that's the hardest thing too, for a lot of us veterans is 
we're not mad at Muslims. Like they, people need to understand that. Like (laughs) I worked with them and I have really good friends that are devout Muslims and man, it hurts me to see what people are saying, um, against, you know, where they just assume that they're all like hate mongers and they're out to kill us. And I'm like, well, what if everybody, you know, and granted the Christians to some degree, we, we do get that, but most of it is because they're busy running their mouths and being stupid. Um, but Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what, that, that brings a, an interesting observation. There's almost some similarities, uh, and at the risk of sounding shallow, there's almost some similarities of sports fans rooting for their teams. They think the team, the teammates and the players think like they do. Like, it's like, Oh, I want to destroy that team. Oh, I hate them. Well, the players on the field, they don't feel that way. It's like, this is our job. So it's almost like as Americans, we just assume that our military people love going around killing Muslims because we're just like, oh, that's what the military does. We knock out terrorism where there's actually people that are just like, I don't even agree that we're doing this. I'm just following orders. You know? Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what it is. And it, I feel like we get kind of this jingoistic like Team America, you know, world police, like where we're like, oh, all the Muslims are evil and <laughs> we got to, you know, we got to wipe them out. and. And that's like, man, like when you really, it's the same way, like as Christians, we're called to love those that are different from us and be an example of like Jesus to them. And, you know, whether that's people that are Satanists, pagans, atheists, Muslim, Buddhists, um, it, it doesn't matter. And when you truly get to know somebody and you find out their story, you begin to develop compassion for them. And a heart. And when that happened to me, because when I when I went over there, you know, I believed what, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma. It was, I mean, everything over there was kind of just nothing against Oklahomans or whatnot, but it's kind of redneck. And, you know, everybody's like, you know, America and Trump and, you know, right. apple mm-hmm. pie and whatnot. And so, you know, you get inundated that. And when I went overseas, you know, I thought like these evil Muslims had bombed the world trade center and were out to just kill us and then i'm surrounded by nothing but muslims while i'm over there and i make friends with them and i'm like man what a bunch of what just what a crock of shit that we buy into you know right so does all that leave you like in a in a position where you like favor and this isn't a political thing i'm just curious from your point of view are you more in favor of disengagement then or or what in in regards to what to the military like occupation over there and no um you know i i think that's the the difficult thing here's you know i I love a quote um by general douglas macarthur which says the soldier above all others prays for peace for he alone has uh borne the greatest uh scars and wounds of war wow and we do Mm -hmm. um and i think that's the thing that we don't that people don't realize is we really do want peace in the mili- and I think this is part of, and people may re- or get angry at hearing this, but I would prefer it if we had a two-year mandatory service where you either served in the military or you did social service. If you don't want to serve in the military, you do like Peace Corps or you know some type of nonprofit work mm-hmm. um, because you begin to see humanity. And from there, because everybody served the disengagement the civilian military divide will not be great um the same way that israel has mandatory service their post-traumatic stress disorder rate is extremely low 
Because everybody gets it in a way. Everybody Regardless gets it. of what you go through, you understand and have known and seen people that went through it. So the way you would reintegrate there would be and much better. Spartan culture, you weren't even allowed to be a politician unless you had served in a war, you know? Um, and the reason why is you're going to be a lot less apt to send people to war when you yourself have experienced, you know, the great cost of what it takes. Um, yeah. And I think we'll engage in less wars and more wars that maybe, and it's tough to say, that make a difference, you know? Yeah. yeah it's a lot easier to hate Muslims and send people over there to get them when sitting on your couch being oh man pizza. for real You're reading reading yeah. facebook posts <laughs> yeah and you and you met muslims and, and folks yeah. over there too that's the thing like I, I always hear those muslims over there that's that like what if you actually had to go serve and and know that i i kind of agree with that as well i i we uh knew, what was the name of that uh israeli punk band man alive no i think it's man alive maybe it's man alive anyway they were all yeah. is, israelis and they were in a punk band they were over here touring just for the summer and one of them was getting ready to go back uh to do his two years of service and at that time i was like whoa that is so crazy they would make you do that and i think even for me it would have been so great because without me touring in the band i would be so uh just uninterested completely in the world without having met people in mexico or australia or in the uk or all of all over the place right. or even in this country yeah even, honestly, yeah yeah, yeah Coast, exactly East Coast, it, it, like it just changes you for sure and it does make it does add the humanity one of the things i'm taking away from this for sure is I'm realizing like probably what one of the things that we do is you're always a soldier. Like you don't get some like around a lot of people, you don't get to be just being or, or something. You know what I mean? Like you like your your identity is wrapped up within this, which is also a positive in some ways. But I, I can see how that could be a negative where you, you can't escape that sometimes. And like like we were saying earlier, sometimes that takes away the humanity of who being is and what being is thinking and going through. Like and so regardless man i think this is really great I, I love that you're so open with that like like i like your idea about just telling your story and it not being a pretty story like having ha having some guys come and tell that and also it's not a pretty story even today sometimes you know what i mean like you, you like you're being open about that like struggling with you know some anger or, or just going through that and where, where where how do you place that how do you deal with it like i think that would be really great for people to hear more that that is something that you're dealing with and and you don't you don't want that, you know, you, that's, that's, a, that's a aspect of something in your personality now that has even changed and is, has been added to your personality. And, uh, I think it's really great that you would just be open about that. That's it's so beneficial. I think for people to hear. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, my wife, I mean, she's got to experience like there was one fourth of July where I just had a full on meltdown. I mean, it was bad. And then there's been times where just the desire to like just drink in excess yeah. has just it becomes a coping mechanism because I don't want to mm -hmm. deal with what the thoughts that I have to process through. And, you know, in January every year, I, I think about my best friend that was killed. And what's crazy is they did this study where um, soldiers who lost friends in combat experienced the same level of grief 30 years later as Jeez, someone who had wow. just lost a spouse. Good Lord. Yeah. So it's, it seems it, overwhelming. Yeah. And so like there, it's just, you know, and like my mom and I, we, his name is Kyle and, you know, he's like a second son to my mom and my mom and I still just cannot talk to each other about him just because we end up in tears. Yeah. And he gave us a stupid, ugly Panama fresco that we have to keep in our house now because like it was the last thing he gave us. I mean, it's horrible looking, but every time you pass by it, you know, yeah. it, there's just a little bit of grief there. 
Yeah. Well, Ben, thanks so much for joining us, man, today. We really do appreciate it. This was very enlightening. And honestly, I, I just, I, this is something that I really do think we should think about more and do more and explain more, get more education on all this, because it's really, I just think that we've done a bad job. Like it's part of me is even just thinking, and, and I don't want to diminish this because like sports are not anything like military or war, but just like the idea of just, uh, you know, all the uh, brain injuries now they're finding out with, you know, from uh, like uh, concussions and stuff like that. And, and just how athletes are do, dealing with that. And we're just realizing it's not just this, oh, they're just athletes and they're angry or they're just athletes and they just sad and they, they, you know, they committed suicide. Like we're learning all this stuff now about how the brain works. And I cannot imagine the pressure it would be to think maybe every night you're going to die, you know, like the, just, just that alone. And then, to, then I mean, that's just you going to sleep, just simply sleeping at night was that, that much pressure and that intense i can't imagine all the other stuff i mean that's just trying to get in some hours of rest and there probably wasn't rest so we definitely really do appreciate you coming what, on uh, and, can and we sharing what can people do ben do you have something you would like any call to action that people should do other than the general advice to how to treat our uh, veterans but is there anything yeah. that you want to promote or have people do specifically so I think, you know, a lot of people are outraged by the VA, you know, mm-hmm. the VA is not going to fix our soldiers. It's going to be the, the people around them that are the people that brought me back were just men and women who loved me, um, through what I was struggling with and they weren't afraid to hear the ugly and it took, and it takes a very long time. And I want, I really want to drive this point home. We will not open up to you, um, just because you're kind to us for like, you know, a couple months, Mm -hmm. it's going to take us earning trust and it's going to take us feeling safe around you, but it's, it's going to take you being okay with our mess as well. And the times where we freak out and, you know, melt down or do something dumb and just be there for us the same way that you would an alcoholic. And I'm not saying that we're like alcoholics or drug addicts, but in that same manner where, you know, it, it just takes this special care sometimes Mm -hmm. with us. Um, we're just asking you to do the same because we're, we're not any different than you. We're just, we're your sons, we're your daughters. And we just want to, we want to feel like we belong again in society and that we don't have to earn our place back into it. We, we want to feel that like, you're not going to make some special, you know, parade for us, but also, and treat us differently because, we did this, but also at the same time, understanding that you are a part of that process. So um, it takes, you know, they say it takes a community to to raise a child. It's going to do the same thing. It's going to take a community to heal our veterans. And that's really where the church needs to step in. And that's where they need to to love and, um, and be there and have it a welcome place where they can um, explore and be messy. Absolutely. We appreciate it, Ben. And heart support, we think, is great and want to continue to do stuff with you guys. So. It's, oh, it's, we love you. you know, it's, it's great. It's nice to to work with other people and see other people on similar wavelengths. Although, you know, we we like to be a little bit more on the skeptical and negative and make fun <laughs> of side. And you like to, you know, do that crap about building people and encourage them and building them up and helping them and all that. But you know, both both are good. <laughs> well, just we're skeptical too. We just do it behind the scenes. Sometimes. <laughs> I knew it. You hate people offline. I got it. All right, Ben Sledge, thank you so much. Anybody that wants to contact you, how can they contact you? Did you already say that? Yeah, yeah. If if you want to write me, um, it's it's I would just hit me up on social media. Hit me up on Twitter. It's Sledge HS for hard support. 
Um, it's the same for Instagram, and uh, I'll respond to you. Perfect. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Good luck to you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. And we're back. Ben Oh, wait. Am I supposed to say, and we're back? You can say whatever you want to, but that was a good interview with Ben. He was great. He was. Actually, I was very impressed. I thought he did a really good job. I kind of want to talk to him about doing his own podcast. I just think it'd be interesting to hear him talk to military folks. He's a very good speaker and very entertaining, and I think there's a lot of... I was just honestly kind of blown away by just thinking about that, just the predicament we put some soldiers in and what they've actually gone through, and if you could hear some of their stories and, and... help them feel normalized back in the culture. I think it'd be a really, really good thing. To me, it's weird to think about how far will our society have to progress? Like, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory, but I think it's pretty awesome that no matter what, when there's a man and he's a dude and he's done something physical that's crazy, you just got to respect it no matter what. It's just always going to carry respect yeah. to me. Somebody that's in the military that does something, that serves something, that fights, that trains, that's a warrior. I mean, that feels like, ape or primal or something but it is i find it powerful i I just you know no matter what that's always going to be powerful and have sway with me is a man being masculine and especially in his case and and that we have the opportunity to couple that with vulnerability and i just think that's always going to be a powerful thing in the culture i think no matter what yeah Man, that was good insight, Matt. I just like how you said that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the... Joey, we're not done. We got a, We got an awesome new segment here. Matt, kick the music. In a world where your friend's mental disorders are too numerous to count. Too numerous to count. Starting with his... Love of jokes that aren't not jokes. My name is Toby Morrell. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the most severe mental disorders that plagues this country is people who I, love I have a friend, not funny shit. I have a friend who is super that funny. Is very terrible. And he loves jokes that are not jokes. This is Toby Morrell, the damn news. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird that you now, consider if we're me funny. name Joey's mental illnesses. Let me name Joey's mental illnesses, and I'm going to say, well, I'm, I really only think there's two, but I, I want to be really clear on what I think the order of them are. I think his number one problem is obsessive-compulsive. I really strongly believe that. We talk about depression all the time. That's a second, distant second, and I think it's completely, almost completely precipitated by his obsessive-compulsive disorder that gets almost no airplay. That's what I believe, and I get that because I just am, I'm reading Joey's book. I got the draft of it. Joey, did you get the draft of your book yet? No, I didn't even okay. freaking get it. Well, I've got it from the editor, and you don't. And <laughs> Joey, I finished it, it weeks you ago. You wrote it, so you know what it says. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working my way through it, and I am just certain that the obsessive thoughts it would turn it, make anybody depressed. And I don't know that I'm not saying that's a blanket way to look at everybody with depression, but in this case, here's what you have to realize this is really what I see going on as I follow the here's what you have to realize is the majority of that book is written pre Wellbutrin, which Wellbutrin is a medication that has, um, I would say, 60, 70 percent has fixed my OCD. And because I told you guys when I got off of it a couple of years ago, I Mm -hmm. started freaking out like oh my gosh i just checked my phone 20 times in two minutes so okay we're doing the news toby what's the story <laughs> here's the damn news uh this comes from abc news fugitive <laughs> polygamous leader you'll be glad later i did that 
<laughs> now, see, that was written. Well, now let's see. Was that written before Wellbutrin or not? Amoxicillin, I was taking. I don't know, man. I was thinking about <laughs> fugitive polygamous leader wants charges dropped. This comes from the ABC News and Associated Press. Polygamous leader Lyle Jeffs is a fugitive after slipping out of a GPS ankle monitor last month, but that isn't stopping his attorneys from, mm-hmm. from asking a judge to drop food stamp fraud, fraud charges against him. The polygamous leaders, they keep just throwing in polygamous. They want you to know that. Uh, attorneys contend in a new court filing Tuesday that Jeff's religious freedom rights allow him and others in the sect to share food stamp benefits as part of their communal living. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Utah declined comment, saying it will respond uh, response with the court. Authorities say Jeff's likely used olive oil or another lubricant to slip off his GPS ankle monitor and escape home confinement last month in, G- in Utah. Jeff's was awaiting trial in a multi-million dollar food stamp fraud case. He runs day-to-day operations and polygamous community in Utah-Arizona border, on the Utah-Arizona border. So there's a lot going on in this story that I thought was just crazy. First of all, he's a polygamous leader, but that, I guess, implies like some, obviously some form of religion and probably some form of Christianity or something. Maybe it's Mormonism. I'm not really sure, but still it's a religious leader here and he has a GPS bracelet, uh, anklet, I guess the ankle monitor that he put on that he escaped from, which seems like that wouldn't be the right thing to do. And then he's in trouble for a multi-million dollar food stamp fraud case. So my question is, Mm -hmm. is there any chance that pastors are good people? I mean, if you're <laughs> going to be a pastor, it's awesome. very dangerous, right? Like, no matter what. I mean, that's not that absurd, though, because all you're saying, I mean, polygamy is is like, I mean, if you go, if you get unchecked power in a cult from 30 to 100 people, and you know you're not on the radar of, of anybody, like, there's no other checks and balances, but you wind up with complete right. autonomy of a couple of hundred people, that will result in polygamy for the absolute yeah. leader almost every time it will happen almost every time. So it's just, it's more of a result of you have an unchecked power in a microcosm equals polygamy every time. This is what you would always do. Like we got to do this. We got to make sure we do this for the right, the God so that this happens. This is that, this is that. And I need to have sex with at least 17 of you probably regularly. That's just the way it goes here. I'm in charge. That's just how that will work out. If you were, if you were setting the rules and making them up unchecked and untethered from, Anything else, that's going to be one of the rules is I need to have sex with the most attractive and youngest people here. That's, that's the way that's going to go. But, you're, but, it, but you would admit, too, that that's almost exclusively, if not definitely exclusive, male, right? Like, there's, there, I don't ever hear the female leaders right. having 20 husbands. They don't care. It doesn't matter. It ain't going to happen. No. It's not of importance to them and be about that. Now, I never understood right. the polygamy thing anyway. My, I got one wife, and it's more, way more than I could ever handle. I, I can't imagine having three other women. Yeah, if you had mine and Joey's wife and your wife. and you, Oh, God. Yes, there would be the benefits. Maybe. There would be the carnal benefits of that. Sure. Would that really be with, worth having to deal fully with each of their yeah, uh, but I, I, needs, I, insecurities? Do you really think polygamous uh, full personalities? No, of course it wouldn't be. Do you really think polygamists are trying to emotionally invest in all their wives? Hell no. It's for the sex. No, no but let me, let me, how about this no. though? That carnal thing is a lie. Okay. Our three wives right now, are any of us getting laid tonight? It's 1137, dude. There's no chance. Any, did you get laid earlier today, Joey? 
today? No, sir. The 76ers might win the finals next year. Okay. All I'm saying, if you if you have four wives, if you have four wives, there's a great chance you ain't getting laid that much more anyway. They're all the, the you know what I mean? Like it's not like they're all just waiting, boy. I, my turn to lay you. Uh, if you can get them competitive, is that possible? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. If they're dumb enough to be a part or of your polygamy, they've got to be a little weird anyway. I don't think so. I don't think you get yeah. laid. That that's true. The, the the thing about polygamy is, on one hand, you'd have to take it as, hey. It's polyamory. It's sexual freedom. It's we do what we want. They, everybody's willing, but it tends to be preying on people, using power structures, young people and right. underage people is where that polygamy tends to go. But theoretically, six 40-year-old people, a, couple, a man and three or four 40-year-old well-educated urban dwelling people that wanted to do whatever they want to do, that's, that's not the same thing. That's not what polygamy ever is. Ever is. All right. Moving on to the next story and the last story today, unfortunately. Uh, this comes from mentalfloss.com. Have y'all heard about this Pokemon Go thing? I didn't even know what it was. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was thinking about that earlier. It's really crazy. I was hoping that would yep, be a new yep. story, Toby. Good work. But this is six weird things that have happened because of Pokemon Go. I thought, I thought it was really interesting. Basically, for those of you that don't know, because I don't hardly understand it, but Pokemon Go took over the planet this past weekend and inspired millions of people to get out and be active while still staring at their mobile screens. It's an augmented <laughs> reality wrap, uh, augmented, augmented reality mm -hmm. app, which allows players to find and catch Pokemon in the real world. So here's six things that crazy things have happened. A teenager discovered a dead body. Back on July 18th, 19-year-old wow. Shayla Wiggins was trying to find a water Pokemon in a location that sounds like the perfect place for them near a river in Wyoming. While scanning the area, she discovered a body floating. Oh, snap. Right. People, number two, people have allegedly used the game's social component to plan robberies. They met up and when they... <laughs> <laughs> According to O'Fallon, Missouri police, four teenagers <laughs> used the geolocation feature just before 2 a.m. on July 10th to anticipate the location and level of seclusion of unwitting victims. This is crazy. Number three, the game is sending people to weird locations. They're going all over the world in crazy places uh, and never thought they would go. So, number four, soldiers can catch them all in ISIS territory. An ex-U.S. Marine currently fighting ISIS outside Mosul, Iraq, shared a screenshot of his Pokemon next to a really big gun. Uh, number five, the game is more more popular than Tinder. Can you believe that? I mean, Tinder, yeah, Tinder's like the biggest thing. No way. And it, in, in the span of a few days, with several countries patiently waiting for their launch date, Pokemon Go was downloaded more times than Tinder on Android devices and was very close to matching and potentially passing Twitter's active user, active user percentage. And then number six, wow. it's free but it still made unreal money for Nintendo. It made about $7 billion in the company. Nintendo owns yep, it? Yep, Nintendo owns it. Where's the money come from? In-app purchase or what? what where's the money? Uh, let's see. It increased the stock price. Oh, it's Nintendo's stock. Okay. Right. Uh, by $7 billion. Just because the just the amount of users. Right, I mean, right. If you can just, get that many users, yeah. you're gold no matter what. Yeah. Well, here's what I love about, okay, there's nothing that sounds more stupid to me than Pokemon. Right. Mine. Like, Pokemon. I don't care about no Pokemon at all. That's something some kids do, and they play their Pokemon. I get it. Right. My, I asked Bridget about it. Bridget's been telling me about it because she likes anime and Japanese right. stuff and children's games and whatever this stuff is. She sounds weird. Of course, of course, it's not my cup of tea. But this is what is so exciting to me is it's, it, it's the way they've used augmented reality, which has been around for a while, 
but they've kind of made the augmented reality go mainstream. Are y'all familiar with what augmented reality is in general? Right, like geocaching and stuff like that, right? Like, well, no, I mean, augmented reality is like you're looking through your phone screen yeah. and you hold it oh, up yeah, 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 the yeah. Eiffel Tower right. and it tells you the altitude. Like you're looking in real time at stuff and it's giving you more. So by looking through your phone screen at something, you're getting more than what's actually naturally there. So you look at a fence and it tells you, oh, that's 3.8 meters and it's this thickness cool. and it's made of cedar. So augmented reality is beyond like Google glasses. Yeah. And that. so it's, it's, it's opposite the notion of people being just stuck on their screens in a pod in the basement there. It, it means you're in reality right. and you have more information. So I like the concept of augmented reality, but what I love about this is people are showing up at uh, people's houses. And, and basically I think a lot of people are disliking this because you have this new type of behavior. That's just what I would consider uh, non-conformity like there's things that are happening now like people are going to weird places at weird times and people freak out and hate it because it's non-conforming <laughs> to what they're used to right. and i love that it gives me just a huge kick like there's people showing up at churches or there was a church that somebody had and they bought it and it's no longer a church but they thought it was and so it was an error in the program but people driving up and sitting outside people's houses at night on their phones stuff like that's happening and it freaks people out and i love it because it's just people having to deal with non-conform like things that are out of the ordinary and so to me that's just super exciting i love when stuff is out of the ordinary me too. like it's just i think it's great like it's in one app somebody created and now behavior of humans on a global scale is changing and it's noticeable and it's irritating that, to me that's just awesome. yeah there's people complaining Although I don't about like no not Pokemon. being able to get sleep because of people like, like all trying to find pokemon at a certain area or something it's well just it's just crazy. altering human behavior on a large scale and that's exciting that to me that's just exciting that that could be possible i could see I the it. excitement as far as it being possible but I, this why would somebody want to do that? Like, I just don't, I, I don't know. I would never do it in a million <laughs> years personally, but I think it's neat that you do it with your kids. Can be it's like fun. That. If you it's find great. something, you know, scavenger hunt kind of thing. seems fun. Find yeah. something. What do you yeah, mean? Love, you're it's, you're it's looking cool, for the Pokemon. That was the damn news. That was the damn news. Let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. Good job. Teddy. Thank you guys. I'm, I'm really trying to bring it now that I'm here and I have time and I just, you know, don't work for the Lord anymore. You work for you. I work for me. I'm the big guy. You're the big dog. You're the lightning crash. Got any names, Joey? No, sir. Zero people signed up for the BC Club last week. Thank you. Yeah, in fact, 90% uh, of them dropped, too, after the uh, talk about Perry Noble. No, I talked to Taylor uh, yesterday about the club and everything, and he had a great time at Audio Feed, met everybody, and caught me up. He continues to say that we're, we are, in fact, at an all-time high. We still have more uh, BC Club members than we've ever had. The, the craziest thing about it to me is that people in the BC Club stay in it. Yeah. There's way, way, way less people that, cancel or drop out or stop than I ever imagined. I'm usually pretty good at projections and numbers and stuff like that. I never fathomed that the, the re, what you would call the retention rate of people in the BC club or satisfaction rate, not that we track those things super directly, but ain't nobody leaves the BC club. They get in it. They're in a community. They're on the Facebook group. They hang out with each other. They make independently friends of each other regardless of this podcast and it's incredible and i think that must be the secret to it but people never drop out of the club why do you think that is so if that tells you any i don't know but if that tells you anything it means 
Like if you knew there was a club that if you joined it, you would be totally happy with your membership, wouldn't you join that club? Yeah, totally. If I could tell you now that with, there's an 87% chance that you'll be very happy, would you join that club? Yeah. Well, we've got better than that. Pretty amazing. Club. So I don't know how to quantify it or sell it or tell you why. All I know is proof's in the pudding. So <laughs> if you've been thinking about joining, let's just do it. It, it seems like it's working. I'm not going to tell you why, but I'm just going to let – it speak for itself. This is doing great. This is funny because this episode that we just recorded was not live, but my wife apparently is watching the live one and she just texted mm-hmm. you and I and said, Matt, your hair looks awesome. So thank you, Priscilla. That's a girl. I appreciate it. She's always thought I was hot. Joey, go home and get laid. <laughs> hey, she is up, man. <laughs> she is up. What's the percentage chance you're going to go home and get laid? Uh, well, it's really high if he could try to like, uh, put on some kind of wig and make it look like his hair was like mine. He'd be good. No, Hey, Hey, you and I both know that there are so many things that go into that. And so I, I can tell you, (laughs) no, seriously, like it's really complicated. I'm telling you, if you would ask me that on a different day, I could literally say, uh, 90% tonight. I would say almost no chance at all. Uh, You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.